0: Hello everybody and welcome to Wrestling With Statistics, the only show that takes the unique look of looking at the world of professional wrestling through the lens of stats and analytics and everything in between. I am your host this week, Ryan Knightsey, and with me as always is Craig Leesk from Pro Wrestling Musings. How are you doing, Craig?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. A um, bit of a traumatic week for me. Um, I oh. lost the ability to, to walk, um, which was very fun. Whoa. Um, I was, whoa, 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 whoa! 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 What? I, I've maybe been a little dramatic there. I was walking back. I was just walking back from the shop with with you know my shopping, and then I got this like splitting pain in my foot. Start like taking my shoes off, looking looking for a nail that I must have stood on. Can't can't find anything. hobbling around for two or three days. Went to the podiatrist, and um, and he pulled out a splinter that was so big. I couldn't even see it and (laughs) now now everything is good so yeah Um, and there's (laughs) your kind of random response to the um how is your week podcast (laughs) opening question (laughs) oh my god are you are you okay I gotta ask oh it's it it was like it was like a magic trick it was like like, I couldn't put any weight on it The, the guy took out what he said was a splinter. Um, I'm taking Matt's words. I could barely see it, and my, it was absolutely perfect. It's the the weird, like you know, when you get a splinter in your finger, and it's like mm-hmm. you know, it's a tiny bit sore. Um, yeah, don't don't get one in your foot. <laughs> oh
0: my, oh my God. Well, I'm glad you're. I'm glad that it, as it sounds like you're doing okay. Are you able to like now that the splinter's out, able to sort of walk normally, or is it still
1: kind of just yeah. like sore? No, no, it's it's like it's 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 like if you get a splinter in your finger it's not really it's not a big deal it was just bizarre that like it was it was as if there was like you know a chunk of metal or something it was uh, yeah um, yeah food chat that's that's how you start a good podcast right
0: i yeah i would say yes i mean yeah most weeks we talk about how we don't have something coming in and that was i think the perfect thing to come in with i was <laughs> you didn't tell me this all week and now i'm just like i'm, I'm flustered I'm, I'm i'm well i'm glad you're doing better i'm glad it was just a splinter and nothing worse my man.
1: Mm, yes i'd I'd, um google diagnose myself as having like torn a tendon or something oh my
0: god well that you never you can never google diagnose yourself never go to webmd you're just gonna think you have like foot cancer or something (laughs) um Foot cancer. And and for someone that has been kindly <laughs> quiet during the the foot talk, we have a special guest on today's episode. As you can probably read in the the title of this podcast episode, we have a special guest this week. It is none other than at UTT Rob on Twitter. Rob, how are you doing, my man?
2: I'm doing really well. I'm, you know, I thought I was doing okay, but um, compared to Great uh, Adventure, uh, I'm doing amazing. You know,
1: I'm just <laughs> pleased you're. I'm just pleased you're still here um, after that opening.
2: Well, I think it's um, it's good that things like that happen because, you know, as men, we often get looked down on for, you know, having man flu, that kind of thing. So, you know, I think, I think it's really important that we can be debilitated by a tiny splinter, you know, that we just need to get out there for people to understand how hard it is to be a man.
0: Well, uh, yes, I guess this is all true. Uh, Rob, how are you doing, my friend? I mean, uh, first off, how's your foot? Second off, how's your week been?
2: um but both feet are fine yeah um yeah Well, i say that now i've not checked for any time splinters around the house um although i keep i keep actually getting a splinter in the same place on um um my wrist I'm sort of working from home and the table that i've got i think there's like a just a little nick in it sort of thing so about four times i've had a splinter in the same place but
0: what is happening what is happening to you two why are you guys getting splinters (laughs) where are you are you like are you like in log cabins like where are you getting these all these splinters from
2: (laughs) yeah it's still the 12th century in britain
0: so uh. okay there we (laughs) go that makes sense that makes sense oh my gosh well uh thanks for coming on rob uh (laughs) we greatly appreciate you coming on to the show um you know you we you know we saw you've been doing a bunch of like stats and stuff uh we sort of talking with you uh in our in the dms and through twitter and whatnot sort of all the because you've been doing a bunch of stats and whatnot on twitter as well so we wanted to bring you on of course to talk about everything and wanted to get your you know get your mind into you know just peek into your mind to see what you got for on this show um But yeah, I mean, first off, I want to ask you where did where did all this interest from like stats and analytics come from? Is that just something that you picked up on the side, or is it something of a job? Where did it all start?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I've always been interested in in maths. I'm uh, much more uh, mathematical than yeah you know, my my ability with uh, the English language or whatever, as you've probably seen from my spelling mistakes and uh, <laughs> 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 some graphs and what I you know I've, I've always related more to numbers. Um, actually, what yeah I do put a lot about TV ratings and stuff um on Twitter, and that is because I'm you know really interested in stats and I can remember at a level I did a project on um TV ratings, sort of comparing TV ratings to um the sort of audience reception of a program, so you'd get this um, you know the website where people would upload uh, their review you know in, in terms of a number between one and ten. And compare that to the TV rating. Um mm-hmm. and even at that point it's sort of you know you could see that there's not much relationship between commercial success and um the hardcore fan base's um appreciation of the product,
1: <laughs> if that makes sense. Well you know, that's you, that's really um that's really kind of apt and timely for the kind of discourse being fired around on Twitter every Thursday.
2: Yeah, well, I mean to, to be fair, uh, and uh, because of being able, you know, the data I could find at the time. It was actually on um, Star Trek. Um, all right. <laughs> because there was just this really, really nice data set online that sort of had, you know, loads of information about, um, um, you know, all, all the episodes and good note, Because if you get reviews that only, like, four people are filled in, then mm-hmm. it's not really that meaningful. Mm-hmm. Cause you might have got four people that put ten, whereas if you get a thousand people, it's probably, you know, a lot more reliable as to what the community thought of it um so it just just panned out that that, that was a uh you know the data was in a bad state to do with that um but yeah I, th- I think that's i would imagine if you can make that assumption about star trek you can easily make that assumption about wrestling about anything really um i would think it'd be the same
0: i think that makes sense i mean yeah it's and especially like you know with everything that's happened in the the business of wrestling i think there is obviously there's something to tracking the ratings to sort of see how the business is doing but of course you know when you have uh the demo god uh front and center in (laughs) that uh definitely uh creates a lot of discourse online and i'm glad you're there sort of tracking that stuff
2: yeah and it it is interesting i just bought a tweet out this week that um for all that AEW is perceived as you know and, and they are doing better in the um 18 to 49 demo um actually still had more people watching in the plus 50 demo than the 18 to 49 and when you look at the demos that's a percentage of the audience that's watching at that time and there's actually more so even though the the number mathematically was higher there tends to normally be more people in the 50 plus demo watching anyway so you know 10% in both is actually more people in the plus 50 so the the majority of the AEW audience is actually outside the demo Um, and I think that's something that kind of get slept on in the debate because they're just comparing AEW to each other. Um, I think the other thing that kind of interests me, we've gone a long way from my interesting stats here. (laughs) Um, The the other thing that interests me is people see that number and think that's the only thing that people are paying for advertising for um, in the demo, but you watch a lot of TV and you see a lot of adverts for, you know, knee braces and glasses and travel agents that don't do the internet and stuff. Um, and clearly there is advertising out there that's focused at the over-50 demo. Um, So it, it would be quite interesting to look at that payoff to say, well, if they pay a certain percentage less for that advertising, you could still make more money, even though you've got a lower demo in the 18 to 49, because you're offsetting it with more views at a lower rate in the over 50. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know it, it, that that you know your Meltzers and your Alvarezes won't discuss that because mm-hmm. all, all they want to discuss is that headline number because that fits their agenda.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something to say about how, like you said, that the plus fifty demos. something to say that there's a lot of most wrestling fans are in that fifty plus. I wonder why cool. that. I mean, obviously, you know, when you're talking like how the data is collected, you're you're talking from. You know, people that have the boxes, you know, who yeah. potentially own it, I, I assume that are 50 plus in general. But um, so I, I wonder, I wonder, like I, maybe there's there's some sort of some sort of essay that needs to be written about why wrestling is currently more for 50 plus year olds than
1: the younger crowd. Is 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 that, um, is the viewing habits argument coming in there?
0: I think there is a good point there about there is viewing habits that older people more than likely could be watching it live while younger people understand that they can just watch it later down the line. Um, But uh, I which is I think is a very solid point. Uh, Rob, I want to ask you another question. Uh, You know, we're talking about wrestling. What what was, you know, obviously you've probably been watching wrestling for a very long time. What was the moment that you sort of fell in love with wrestling? You know, not necessarily... it could be obviously your favorite match whatever but what was the moment that you watched that you knew like hey this is something I want to watch for the rest of my life
2: Um, well just to answer your previous question just for context yes I do work in in, in, I do work in stats and modeling now so yes that is my career Right. so um, anyway uh, um, in terms of getting into uh, wrestling um, I was sort of born into a family that watched wrestling uh, especially my grandparents and Uh, You know, World of Sport was kind of ubiquitous um, in Britain when it was on originally. So, you know, a vast uh, amount of the population watched it so you couldn't kind of miss it. So um, I think the first thing that sort of resonated with me in terms of early memories or whatever um, was the um, Giant Haystack's Big Daddy feud, um, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people will look at now and think, oh, God, the match was awful. And yes, the match was awful. But... (laughs) But but they captured the nation's, you know, imagination with the feud and a third of the population watched it. Um, So I I would argue if you've got wrestling and the point of wrestling is to make money, essentially, um, that did a lot better job than something that you could say, well, you know, this is a a six-star match or whatever Mm that might not necessarily have a story behind it or... um, Uh, 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 really sort of captured the audience's imagination. So you kind of have that dichotomy with wrestling, but yeah, I mean, obviously that was iconic. Um,
1: Sounds sounds like the British equivalent of um, Hogan-Andre. You know, it's not a great match, but it is the one that is, you know, uh, spoken about and captured said imagination.
2: I think to a certain extent, you're always going to have the hardcore fans like ourselves Mm -hmm. watching and we'll go through the peaks and troughs and, you know, take, take the rough with the smooth, sort of thing. I think it's when you can start engaging the rest of the audience and bringing people in. I think that's your metric yeah. of, it, of it doing well. Um, you know, so it, it, it's like I said, you know, it's exactly what I said about Star Trek that if people don't necessarily like it, that doesn't mean there's less people watching um, you know, because that might actually be Meaning something to someone else who it not in that hardcore fan base.
0: You mentioned you mentioned Star Trek real quickly. I just want to ask who's who's your favorite captain?
2: Well, I, I, I'd i be slightly biased uh, if, uh, but uh, I'd have to say Patrick Stewart, who's a fellow Huddersfield Town fan <laughs> and uh, chairman of the club, um, and you know, i've seen it at games a few times.
1: Yes, All right.
2: yes, I didn't know that. All right. Yes, he um, he grew up in Murfield, which is sort of one of the suburbs of. Uh, Huddersfield. Um,
0: what, what is it about Huddersfield that that both you and Patrick Stewart love? <laughs>
2: <laughs> in, ter- in terms of the football team, I don't, I don't know. I don't think you. Um, I, f- I think love's probably a, a good description because, um, in terms of football, I, I don't think you would make a logical decision looking back to follow the club that you fell in love with, um, <laughs> because it, you know. It, I did actually see a study once where. The um, benefits that you gain from being a football fan are far outweighed by the negatives. So you have these, <laughs> these few fleeting moments of joy when the club's doing successful, and then you have, you know, two seasons worth of relegation battles as we've had in a mm-hmm. row to sort of, um, you know, offset um, massively that that high. So I think it is an emotional decision rather than a um, uh, a logical one.
0: I mean, I guess that makes sense. Obviously, in America, we're not uh, uh, football slash soccer, American soccer crazy here, We're more American football crazy. I I, I don't know what it's like to like grow up loving uh, a, a team because when it comes to like American sports, it's just sort of like you know, at least for the professional side, you just sort of like like a athlete, and then you just follow their career pretty much.
2: Have and, and, and I don't know whereabouts do you live in America, right?
0: That, I don't know where America differs on everything in the world. I mean, there's so many aspects of America. <laughs> just frust-
2: I, I was just going to say, um, I've been watching quite a lot of stuff about the Portland Timbers. Okay, um, okay. And, and they, the, the, the Portland, Portland and Seattle, um, mm-hmm. from what I can tell, kind of have a much more sort of British attitude towards the football. They've got incredibly... Of hardcore fans, the, the, the chanting. Um, I mean, Portland's insane. When they score a, a goal, they have this huge log that a guy with a chainsaw shaves a bit off and they hand it round the crowd and stuff. So. So, <laughs> you have to watch it. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. Anyone who says Americans don't get football, you know, watch about the Portland Timbers and their main rivals, Seattle, are, are, are just as crazy in the uh, oh my God. other direction. Um, so... Yeah, that, that's definitely worth uh, checking out. Um, but yeah, and I think part of it is that the clubs in um, in Britain are a lot closer to each other, so you've got that rivalry, mm-hmm. uh, whereas it, it's often quite a long way um, between, you know, like if it's you know, Dallas to San Francisco, that's like like a continent away for us sort of thing.
1: There, there's also like more local teams, like um, like people tend to support the team of the town or the city that they grew up in. So, like, there's a 92-team, a like, league pyramid in England. So, like, people, you know, there's all these teams that people live closer to. Whereas, I I mean, I, I don't think that that's the case with American football, unless that's where college football comes into it.
0: I think college football definitely has a little bit of that. And college football also has sort of that club vibe where... Mm. you are rooting for the, the school you root. I mean, essentially yeah. the school you're rooting for these sort of teams where, cause you know that, you know, whether it be two, three, four years later, your are you know, whoever your favorite wide receiver was, uh, the guys that catch the footballs, um, they're, they're going off, going off into the NFL. So, you know, you're not going to see them. You have to, you're sort of in a way forced to, uh, enjoy the, the club, enjoy the team, enjoy the school there. In a weird way and
1: i i'm guessing that's why people tend to follow players rather than rather than teams
0: yeah because you sort of fall in love with one one player yeah. and then go okay. that way and that's why also a lot of the betrayal happens i guess that also probably happens in a lot of the football clubs in europe where there is that level of betrayal where one person is like you know what i'm going to this team and you're like what what do you mean you're going to this team you're our guy
1: yeah yeah sometimes um pig's heads get thrown onto through all pitches in those situations
0: I mean, it's not as not as I mean, it's not as like fun as like sawing a log. But I mean, that's I mean, I I guess that's pretty cool.
1: Uh, I mean, I mean, I don't I don't think the separation happens there and then.
0: (laughs) That would be be awful. That would be so awful. Oh, my God, man. What a what a turn. Oh, man. Uh, (laughs) I've lost my train of thought just thinking about that now uh yeah uh well let's you know what let's let's just talk about stats how about that let's just go into the stats talk um uh we we last the previous week oh my i'm so i'm just thinking about pig's head now oh my gosh um uh, (laughs) craig craig help me out here craig help me out here (laughs)
1: um um, so we we're going start with we're going to start looking at one match. And we'll go for the stats and then maybe pick out bits that we think are interesting in the storytelling of the match. Um, so the one that we're going to look at this week is John Moxley versus Brian Cage. Um, Dan, the excellence of procrastination on Twitter is going to be um, writing this up and popping it up on the website. Um, but as a preview to that, so John Moxley versus Brian Cage. Um, very interesting match. The first time that we've really seen Brian Cage in a match that wasn't just a proper dominant squash. Um, surprisingly, Moxley, um, 59% of the offense, won the strike battle. Um, Brian Cage opting to go for big, big grapples, 12 to 2 in favour of him, which saw Moxley um, take it to the sky at times, two dives and 87 seconds of submission, which ultimately. Was the best strategy, as that's what led to the win. And when we're looking at the flow of offense, Brian Cage only really kind of had two kind of big parts of dominance within the match. Moxley, um, to kind of three or four aspects where he was in control. And if you look at the trend lines there, you can see that Brian Cage started off hotter than Moxley, and they kind of crisscross almost in the middle. So the match. And that's kind of confirmed by the five-minute period breakdown, where we see Brian Cage in the ascendancy for the first half of the match, and then John Moxley taking control with the, the use of submissions. Um, and again, when we move on to looking at the comparison of the way that the two wrestlers performed, you can see the big grapples um, advantage from Brian Cage, but then the 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 kind of dwarfing, the doubling of the submission seconds used um by John Moxley to pick up the win. Um passing over over to you guys, And um, what what exactly jumps out um how how do the stats kind of tell the story of the match? What what kind of reads as significant um from that?
2: I, I think they were they were telling the story with um the arm. Um mm-hmm. Moxley had sort of cut that promo on the run in about um you know, it, tearing his uh, bicep off the bone sort of thing. And uh, there was that part in the match where he had his sort of arm and wrist through the guardrail and he's pulling back on it. And then obviously there was the um, sort of finish of the match um, where he had him in the armbar. Um, so I, th- I think that, that kind of does reflect well that the story that they wanted to tell going into the match actually statistically on paper is the story that you can see you know, with um, that time that he spent in uh, in the submission, and that, that was kind of um, Moxley's main start. Well, the strikes, but it's certainly mm-hmm. one of the uh, one of the main one of the main starts. So I, I, I do think it's interesting that he have managed to physically create the story that they were verbally telling.
0: Yeah, I mean, looking at this originally when I was, you know, just looking at it at face value, I was sort of like, man, Brian Cage, you know, he's not getting a lot of offense. He's definitely getting, but he's getting a lot of those strike downs, which is we sort of talked about earlier about being so important. Even though it's five to three, mm-hmm. though, um, you know, getting those grapples in as well. I was sort of thinking like, man, maybe if if Taz didn't throw in the towel, maybe Cage could have had it. But you know, there is there's something that has to go into that whole i i you know ideology. You know, go into. Look at that flow of offense tie changes you slowly see moxley you know getting it into his favor um as as time progresses and that perfect beautiful X in the middle of that five minute mm-hmm. period chart um like there is something to say that like taz was just definitely preserving his his asset i guess would be a phrase um you know he was moxley was tearing him down i mean potentially quite literally um with those all those arm bars and whatnot um so it it is nice to see that like you know if if the match continued i don't know maybe brian i mean brian cage in that five minute period he was sort of coming back into it so if the match continued maybe brian cage could have you know had it back but at the same time it's like you risk injury for brian cage because moxley's out for the arm but then of course as we all know moxley is seemingly i don't want to say immune to damage but like just absorbs damage so whatever brian cage could have done may not even been enough for moxley in the first place
1: that that's the other thing that um i found interesting about this so moxley um took took the uh, offense percentage he got the most offense in which is the opposite of um the pattern with him to begin with if you remember a few weeks back when we were discussing moxley as Almost, he just absorbs everything that his opponent has, and then kind of um, strikes when, whenever he has the opportunity. Whereas um, now he he didn't he didn't take that kind of tactic with Brody Lee. He he got the offense and um, percentage advantage in that match, which was kind of the initial time that we went, oh, that's against the grain with Moxley, uh-huh. and then here in this match, he's done it again quite significantly. And his average um, match offense percentage across his thirteen matches is now up to forty nine percent. So he's he's almost he's almost um, he's almost kind of changed tacks now. He's dominating the kind of he's dominating more when he's against big men. I don't know if it's because he feels he can't give them that much offense because they can damage him, um, or if he's kind of going back to a bit more NJPW, Moxley, where he's kind of um, using his strategies uh, a bit better. I, su- I suppose, storyline-wise, you could suggest that at the beginning of the year, when these stats started getting gathered, he he had one eye, he was up against the inner circle, and maybe now he's, he's you know, rested up, he's had a bit more time to um, sort his body out, and he's able to kind of, be more physically dominant in these matches as well as winning. So perhaps, you know, moving forward, the stats are suggesting that Moxley is growing into somewhat of a more dominant um, champion that wins as well, which um, arguably is quite a frightening proposition.
0: Yeah, I can can sort of see that because, you know, when he won- originally won the title, when he was, you know, last year, he was facing a lot of uh, smaller guys. Honestly, I want to say, you know, smaller him or say you know, he's facing Omega, Pac, um, Jericho, uh, and obviously the inner circle at the beginning of this year. And then he sort of transitions into facing a lot of big men. We got Hager. We got Cage. We got uh, Brody Lee. Mr. Brody Lee. Sorry. Um You know, and and there's there's the idea that, yeah, if he if he takes too much offense, he might get overwhelmed by these bigger guys, which I think is a good tactic kayfabe wise. But then you can also look at the fact that around the Hager period, he sort of transitions into more of a I don't want to say more of an MMA style, but he at the very least introduces, you know, more uh, chokeholds or submissions, Mm -hmm. I would say. I would I, I would love to see if we can go back later craig on probably another episode to look into like Moxley's submission usage over the time because mm-hmm. i wonder if he is just using more submissions since that hager mash or hager match or something um maybe maybe that match of fabu andre was the point where he switched uh always got a shout out fabu andre uh uh rob any any big takeaways you get from this moxley sort of new sort of moxley as a dominant champion what do you, what do you sort of feel about that
2: uh well, well one thing that just struck me as um kind of interesting and it's going to be relevant going forward if if he was wrestling different when he had one eye, um, are we expecting Rey Mysterio and Seth Rollins? <laughs> to... <laughs> yeah, maybe we can have some uh, some analysis on 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 one-eyed guys tend to fight smaller people and use less submissions. <laughs>
1: um, is it is it? Do you think it's the depth percep- uh, perception? Like if you if you only have one eye, when you're trying to grab the arm to put that armbar in, you're maybe you, you you know you might be missing the arm, or you're grabbing it too high, and you don't have. You know the, the depth perception to play a submission game
2: it, it, it is interesting and actually um i um,
1: thought what that, that wasn't a serious
2: comment. no no. <laughs> well, no actually um because um you know the rest of crazy steve from impact I, um, i'm
0: i'm so excited for this comparison
2: well no because he he has extremely poor vision i think he might even be right, okay. legally blind mm. and he doesn't do a lot of punches because he's mm-hmm. probably gonna land them if he tries. Yeah. But he actually tried well, you know, this is what he said. I don't know if the stats would bear it out, but he, he said that he tries to do a lot more, you know, grapples and mm-hmm. holds and stuff because he doesn't want to take the risk of sort of, you know, legitimately Yes, yeah, so someone. So... Um No no, so I, I do find it interesting that maybe the sort of that would be the the logic of someone who has that um has that Going against them so that they account for it, but if you're a legitimate fighter, you're probably the other way around. You're probably thinking, I can't see very well, I've got to sort of lash out. Um, mm. you know, so it probably does play yeah. into strikes. So, even though that's the opposite, it kind of does make sense that that is what you do because it's kind of easier to try and hit mm. a target than it is to try and grab a target.
1: Yeah, I su- I suppose um what you're saying with Crazy Steve makes sense though, because it sounds like he's being um he's being guided by touch rather than sight. Like you can yes. gra- grapples and submission, you can you know you can um he, that's that's can be touch driven as well, sight driven. So that that's really interesting and makes um a lot of sense. But the um, craziest
2: thing he's doing that's to try and protect his opponent, whereas yes, Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Obviously here in Moxley and whatever perhaps he's trying to damage his opponent, so then mm-hmm. you'd expect the opposite, which is kind of maybe what we saw.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Um on another note, um um I was listening to a What Culture podcast, I think it was Michael Hamflet was saying that he hopes um that when Seth Rollins gets his eye taken out, he he um, sells he sells that by having no depth perception in his matches and tries to do the curb stomp but keeps missing because he's got no depth <laughs> perception which I really love the idea of as a storyline.
2: I think the important thing in wrestling regardless of what it is is that pushing if something's damaged you've got to make it believable that it mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Often times you yeah. yeah, get they go into a match with a with an injury but then they're completely fine. Mm-hmm. Um it, it worked. Um, it worked for Kane when he just stomps his leg in the ground and it's fine again. But that's because he's a monster.
1: It, <laughs> yeah. it, it shouldn't it shouldn't work for everyone else. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that that makes sense, and that's that's kind of one of the, I suppose, more um, kind of more famous kind of criticisms that are often levied at wrestlers that um, quote unquote can't work
0: yeah uh just to say real quickly uh crazy Steve is legally blind as a result of a congenial bi- bilateral cataracts uh, mm. apparently he got cataract surgery sur- he got his cataracts removed, i guess okay. but his vision was not improved by the cataract surgical removal so that that's feel bad for him, but he is obviously still doing a good job uh going back at impact.
1: blindness is blindness is really interesting though because i i taught a boy that was legally blind um and he like couldn't see the color blue and he could only he only had a certain percentage of his vision and but he was an incredible football player and like you would think that if somebody was legally blind football would be like the hardest sport in the world because he'd be crashing into people etc etc but no he was he was amazing um as a random side note
2: it's funny how sort of your other senses um, sort of step in mm. and step up. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I can't imagine how that would happen with football.
1: But well, yeah, no, I, I don't get it either. It was very confusing.
0: You can feel the the, the ball rumbling on the ground, so he can sort of.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's like football gets quite congested, and there are a lot of mm. people around. And but he he never he he would he would struggle to like to see people that are far away to pass to. But like he didn't like run into people or stuff like that
0: okay well i mean i gotta ask was he was he the best kid on the team i mean was he was he the, was he this prime player
1: and uh, kind of yeah he was but he was kind of a ridiculous he, he was a ridiculous athlete he was like really fast and powerful for his age um but yeah he, he, i suppose he kind of was that's awesome
0: that's awesome i love you love to hear a story like that um yeah, yeah. I, I think there is something to like the 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 blindness angle i kind of like as an idea of like motivating moxley to use more grapples and submissions like there's sort of an idea into that uh, as as opposed to just striking down his opponents. Um, but let's but let's move on to the next segment. Rob, you you had obviously you're a stats guy. Obviously, you're an analytics guy. You're, you know, come from the world of stats, as it were, as you said, as a as a profession. Um, but you said that you had you, you wanted to go and look through a lot of the the stats that Craig sort of prepared and you you found some interesting ideas. One, I mean, I guess maybe you wanted to also test out a couple of theories that you had. Uh, do you want to sort of talk about some of the things that you sort of discovered?
2: Yeah, so I thought, I thought it'd be quite nice to maybe do um, some different stats because um, uh, there's quite quite a few bits that, that you guys have looked at in previous episodes. Um, but I thought, you know, having a stats background, it it might be nice to just just mm-hmm. introduce a couple of different uh, concepts um yeah you're 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 one.
0: my teacher i want to learn i want to learn everything <laughs> you got i mean craig is my friend teacher but you're then you're my professional teacher yeah it, it's
2: funny though because I, I have people that are um you know that that, that I just look at their stats ability and think you know um so it, it, it's trickling downhill it's yeah i'll paint it forward or whatever you know <laughs> but um the, the first one that um i, I looked at something called the wisdom of crowds okay. um what what is famous. what is what is that so um the the idea of this is that if you were to ask someone to guess something, um and, and even if it's kind of an educated guess, they might not be that good at guessing an exact answer. But if you get lots of people who can have an educated guess uh, to guess the same thing, then on average you're probably gonna get very close to the correct answer. Um okay. hmm. so one of the sort of earliest examples of this, there was uh, a uh, Victorian polymath called Francis Galton who set up an experiment at a village fair to try and guess people to weigh um, guess the weight of a bowl. So nobody got the weight of the bowl correct individually, but he had a thousand people guess and they got it within one percent of the actual weight because it all can you know the the overestimations cancelled out the underestimations. Mm. Um, so I just thought I'd uh, try that on. Uh, Wrestling Twitter, so I um I put Ooh. out a uh, a tweet saying um you know guess how many um, um what was the average amount of strikes for an AEW match, which obviously you guys have sort of collated the data, so we had we had that answer already, so we knew that that was roughly about thirty-seven. Uh, I put out the tweet originally, and I think people originally when I first put it out thought I was um, joking, so they're coming back with like a billion and stuff. Um, <laughs> I put one out asking for sensible guesses um, and then we still, still had some people who were guessing in the trillions or whatever, so I've excluded those but, uh, To know, be fair, it.
0: they thought you meant New Japan wrestling, not AEW wrestling
2: yes. Yeah, they thought I meant Suzuki didn't they? You know, yeah.
0: Uh,
2: Suzuki. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, so, uh, and if you see through time on this graph, we've got the number of uh, guesses going along from the first guess up to the 31st guess and that was just because after three hours I thought right, I'll make a graph um there have been some more coming afterwards um that kind of lost track of where i got up to so but i think it would probably still you know average out so you can see that uh, we have one um guess um, that came in about eight where they pretty much got bang on the the um the 37. um so the the that, that was very good but none of the other guesses got it right but you can see we've got a line there the red line the red dotted line is um the actual guess and then we've got the community guesses which is the black dotted line above it oh my so God. on average yeah on average it's almost on top of it so even though you've got some people getting near zero some people get which you know um you've got this reputation in the ew that it's all you know flips and dives and stuff so maybe if people are thinking well it's not sort of traditional you know hostile wrestling uh i don't watch it but i think it's all you know the flips and whatever, so I'm going to assume it's none. And then you've got other people thinking, you know, you've got the, you, the they've probably seen the um, Brian Cage, John Moxley match we well, football. There was a lot of strikes in that, that's probably 200 because I mean, I tried to count stats, the, the strikes in that match, and gave up after 14, so I've got no idea how you do it, Greg. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, um, it. It,
1: it is just one of those things. It's just, it is just practice. I can remember finding it difficult when I first started, and now it's, it's, it's just not. And it's, you know, it's, it's just practice. I suppose, like anything else.
2: I, I did used to watch matches um, counting the number of moves that would have been legal in the original World of Sport in modern WWE, and you Correct. only get you only get to about two in an average WWF match. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> but. Um, the, yeah, so you, what you see is that the um, community average sits almost exactly on the actual average, so it shows that um, you're offsetting all the overestimations with their underestimations. So it's worked out really nicely to sort of demonstrate that theory.
0: To, to sort of to answer, because I imagine some people are probably thinking this at home. What what in in everyday reality? Obviously, we're not going around guessing bulls uh, every day. But what, in what, how is this sort of wisdom of crowd sort of idea, how is that used in, like, an everyday world?
2: Uh, Well, I mean, there's certainly sites um, that will do it for gambling. So they'll have (laughs) a set of,
0: um,
2: you know, the 10,000 people who are, you know, obsessed with um, NFL or whatever, um, and they will all guess, you know, what the result's going to be. Um, It might be difficult if you're actually trying to, you know, guess yeah is dallas going to score this many points versus philadelphia or whatever it affects but the,
1: the interest... odds though doesn't it well, like it... if lots of people start putting a bet on don't betting companies then change their odds because if like if crowds are thinking that something's going to happen then there's more of a chance that it will happen probably because of the idea that i I'd like the wisdom of crowds idea
2: yeah i mean they, they certainly do offset offset for that um but what they can do is they can bet as a community rather than individuals Okay. Um, but um, what sports like uh, you know American football and cricket and um, basketball are good at is there's the sort of the spread difference. So what's the, the the difference between the scores? So it's probably quite easy for to do your wisdom of crowds with that because you know you'll have people thinking oh well they're gonna it's going to be ten points, twenty points, thirty points. It averages out at twenty. So um, you know the, there's definitely sort of real world applications for it
0: okay interesting yeah i i when I saw this graph, I was like i was amazed how i i never heard of wisdom of crowds before obviously i've i've heard of like you know <laughs> guessing for things uh but uh i've never like sort of i heard this idea and just seeing that you know seeing thirty one guesses and you know obviously who knows if you know add ten fifteen twenty more guesses if it get ga- you know got i want to say even more accurate, but pretty much they' already nailed the number on the head um yeah it's just it's just amazing to see that like you know just that that you know, like what the whole idea is like it's amazing to see like just people guess anywhere between zero to a hundred and somehow it gets so close to the actual number i i am I'm, I'm so amazed by this number
2: yeah and and you would hope um that with any set of data the the more data you have the more reliable the results are going to be so it's really great that we got there at thirty but you you'd you know you'd think well possibly won't get there at 30 but once you get into a thousand ten thousand mm-hmm. you pretty much guarantee and you're going to get
0: i love it i love it uh you have other stuff that you that you wanted to look at you started started looking at i think you started looking at like what taunts or something and how it compares and how that could potentially bring victories or or whatnot i, I want you to explain it properly but i can't do it justice but you had, you had something here compared uh talking about Bayes' theorem
2: yeah so um the, there's loads of um the things in your data set and everything that we've gone through in um, the previous uh match and i had the idea of sort of going through and just finding something that um was predictive um but what what i really wanted to do was find um something where we had someone who had a good sort of winning record mm-hmm. um and compare that to uh, but that same person also be you know highly ranked in in one of the areas um so i noticed and i think from memory it was brian cage had um sort of a lot of taunts um and a a great win record if i remember rightly um it might not have been but that's kind of by the by But that that's sort of a trap do we have it on this one here maybe it was um maybe i'm thinking of um, um it might have been Ward- Wardlow. yes yeah. possibly Wardlow. somebody big Perhaps. yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> somebody big
0: somebody scary that taunts a lot but,
2: but actually this this is one of the advantages of sort of stats um is that we can sort of strip out who was doing it and look at the underlying numbers uh, and then it'll give us a trend and then we apply it back and that that'll be able to you know tell us what those people would do if we know the characteristics mm-hmm. so you sort of you know you're stripping out who the person is and then sort of doing um, the stats based on that um so um i, d- I looked at the top ninth of people with taunts, um just because there were 45 so five um of 45 and ninth. it's a really really nice number mm-hmm. um so the probability of being in the top five uh top ninth is um the 1.1 recurring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I looked at the probability of winning. So this was the whole male data set as a whole. You compare the number of wins to the total matches, so you get the probability uh, of winning.
0: The, the male then, singles one-on-one matches.
2: Yes, that's right, yeah. Um, so I don't know if there's some exclusions or whatever. Um, but um, then we looked at sort of conditional probability. So the probability of being in that top ninth but also of winning,
0: mm-hmm.
2: so you, you just take the top ninth, and then you take the number of matches um, and the number of wins, so you, you've got a probability, but what we want to test is, is the probability of being in the top ninth and winning the same as the probability of winning and being in the top ninth. So they might not necessarily be the same thing. Yeah, okay. Could
1: you, could, could you say that again, please? Can I think he, I almost understand. Can you explain it like we're 5? Right. So <laughs> just it, just that top ninth. But like the yeah. top ninth and winning and winning in top ninth.
2: Yeah. So if if we had someone that won a match, let's say mm-hmm. for argument's sake, a miracle happens and Peter Avalon wins his first yeah. match. Is it then, you know, just because he's won a match, does that mean he's in the top ninth of taunt? Okay, yeah. Or spin it on its head. If Peter Avalon happened to be in the top ninth of taunts, does that mean that it's probable mm-hmm. that he's going to win a match? So okay. there's, there's two sort of different different things there.
1: So the question is should Peter Avalon start taunting a lot to help um, break his losing streak?
2: Well, but th- this is what we need to find out because yeah. Peter Avalon might look and say, well, a lot of the people who win are doing a lot of taunts. Yeah. But then we need to test is it the taunts that's helping him win or you know, is it something else? So it's um so with this we can see that you're more likely to win and to be in the top ninth of taunts than you are to be in the top ninth of taunts and win. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, and there's quite a there's quite a good relation. I mean you're still pretty likely to win a match if you're in the top ninth of taunts, but you're more likely to be in the top ninth of taunts if you win a match.
1: Okay. Okay yeah so that would suggest that winds um lead to confidence which lead to taunts. Yes
2: yeah that, yeah, that, okay. yeah so it's it's the winds that are driving the taunts rather yeah, than the taunts yeah. that are driving the winds. Oh that interesting. That, that's Although, huge.
1: I would say that's huge yeah. That, that's that's yeah That's fascinating. Yeah and which the, the, which from sorry and um, which from a booking point of view would suggest that um wrestlers feel that they should taunt if they're winning?
2: Well, I mean, one of the things that you do when you're sort of looking, uh, you know, if you were trying to do this for business use and mm-hmm. someone, someone came from, you from a department that you have no idea what they do sort of thing, but they've got the numbers and they want to sort of use it in the business. So you can look at the numbers, but then you've got to say, well, does that actually make sense, you know, in, in your industry, what you're doing? Yeah. And, you know, if, if you were talking to a wrestling fan, they might say, well, I know that every time a wrestler is about to do the finisher, whether they mm-hmm. win the match or not, they'll do the little taunt. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know Randy Orton will go to that yeah. place where his voice voices, that kind of thing, before he does the RKO. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, so then it's well, and oh well, no one ever kicks out of the RKO. Therefore, I know there's always a taunt before a win, mm-hmm. uh, and okay. so that yeah. kind of makes makes sense. Um, you know, without looking at the numbers, just from Sort of the feeling point of
0: view. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I like this a lot. <laughs> I really, <laughs> I, I really like this deep dive. Uh, well, let's let's keep the deep dive going. Uh, going back into a, a, a segment that we used to do, we put on the back burner a, sec- a little bit. Craig, we're wanting to look mm. at the relationship between taunt rates and win loss records. Um, and he pulled up another graph here, and you know, to go along with that same idea, Rob there is a positive uh, you know semi-positive correlation here that you know the more wins or the more taunts you have the more wins you got to to say it uh bluntly in in a way um craig you want to talk about this graph
1: uh yeah this is so this is just uh the correlations that we've been doing before and the relationship between taunt rates and win-loss records um so taunt rate means the amount of taunts that a, a wrestler um on average would do for if they competed in an hour of wrestling so for some of them it's their total divided down to get it to an hour and for some of them it's their total uh, times up to make it an hour um the reason that it's um done by per hour which might seem a bit odd is because if you do it per match uh, you've got like Brian Cage who's winning matches in 2 minutes and then you've got Cody who tends to wrestle for um, 20 minutes so like four matches for those two could be like four minutes versus 80 minutes it's it, you know you, you need to level it out by time Um, looking at this we've got Cody and Moxley Um, again kind of up there in the upper echelons in terms of win loss and uh, what's interesting about them is they're kind of just below average just by looking at this by sight for Taunt's um, but, but then when we're looking at the guys that are using lots and lots of taunts, um, Archer, Wardlow, MJF, Colt Cabana, Luther, Sammy Guevara, and Ricky Starks, they tend to at least have evens records. Um, all but one of them have better than evens. So the cor- the correlation makes sense in terms of when you just look at the chart with your eyes. Um, and then those those that have negative... Win loss records um, tend to have kind of below average or just about average um, taunt rates, so it, it does seem to be something that is um, tending towards being uh, a correlation, which which does make sense when you think about psychology and how you would present a winner and um, that that kind of that kind of idea
0: yeah rob how, how does this sort of you know we talked about that bayes theorem in the last last sort of slide there how does this sort of idea compare to you know this relationship graph we have in front of us
2: well i mean one one of the um one of the things with this graph we can see the r squared on there and our r squared gives you an ex- um an indication of sort of how predictive a variable is um so the closer that is to one um the more predictive it is although Sometimes you wouldn't want it to necessarily be exactly one because um, there, there can be sort of problems with that. Um, so it, it's showing that it's not a massively predictive variable. Mm-hmm. So th- there could be. So when we were looking at it before, um, even, even though it was more likely to, with the Bayes theorem, to um, get in the top 9%. If you'd won a match rather than the other way around it was still quite there was still quite a big relationship between winning a match and being in the top um nine percent of taunts. Mm -hmm. so what what ideally you'd do you know if you were building a model and doing it properly on like i've done on the next slide um (laughs) what ideally you'd want to do is look at that variable and and sort of say well there might is, is the sort of linear relationship so does it get more predictive from you know, the, the bottom ninth to the top ninth? And is it going in sequence? And if it, if it is sort of you know, a linear relationship, then you can assign points to each of those buckets and sort of weight it. Um, so it, it, what it's sort of suggesting is that if you're going to use this variable, maybe just not use it on its own, maybe sort of put something in with it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, probably just blown your minds there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it, I think yeah. it was on a delay because I was I was still processing confirmation. But yep, mind blown. Well,
1: yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean by putting something else in with it?
2: Well, I either um, so, so either you could have uh, a model that looked at, looked at several variables, so it might say okay. right. Well, um, you know, taunts and strike downs and grapples, mm-hmm. um, 3 boss predictive. And then if I use a combination of those, okay. I can do that. Or you could do sort of build a scorecard. And if you were doing that, then you'd have sort of a band for each of your, you know, your one-ninth, the, your, one your two-ninths, three-ninths, four-ninths, whatever. And you could do something called weights of evidence that would allow you to assign points to each of those lines within that so effectively it would give you more of a weighting for people in different buckets Um, so you know there's 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 various different options of doing it um but it doesn't necessarily you know it doesn't we we clearly know there is some kind of relationship the just linear relationship isn't as um good as would expect so either you think well it's not a great variable we'll move on or you dig down and find a, a different way of using it
1: okay okay
0: yeah it does feel like the 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 sort of like x factor that we're sort of discussing is like the level of confidence of a certain wrestler like there, there are the people or maybe confidence or for in some cases maybe like a luther over here uh a disillusioned uh confidence uh about winning and whatnot is that there is the, the that idea of like, you know, that the wins brings confidence, which brings taunts. When you have people like MGF and Archer and Wardlow who people who bring these wins so they are leading the pack in taunts because they feel uber I mean, look at MGF, he's undefeated. Uber confident mm-hmm. in in that sort of regard.
2: Yeah, and, and and that is a really important thing to think about because sometimes a variable can be a proxy for something else. Mm-hmm. So we've got taunts, but it might not actually be taunts. We we mm-hmm. might need to have a metric for confidence because because it it might you know a lot of your high taunts might be high confidence, uh, mm-hmm. and it might actually be confidence that is what we want into uh, model rather than taunts.
1: Yeah, um, I I wonder if in that like kind of digging down into like psychology there, um, quite. If you think about like the kind of the Superman pose idea where if you're having an interview, you do like a strong pose in front of um, in front of a mirror and that kind of idea, the kind of fake it till you make it idea, um, which has a lot of kind of psychological value. I suppose um, where taunts come in, you could be saying to a wrestler like Cutler, Janela, um, Ortiz, you need to start behaving a bit more confidently. You need to start taunting in the ring a bit more. Um, and the act of doing the taunts might convince that wrestler that in fact they are confident. And that's the thing that might improve storyline, um, of course, might improve their uh, wrestling ability.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like that as like, you know, Maybe we a
1: bit we, of a long shot there, but yeah.
0: No, I like it a lot. You know, we, we you and I have discussed in the past that when you start uh, calling up Brandon Cutler and giving him some pointers, <laughs> Uh, like there there is, I mean, and not just that, there's also that, that, like you said, that booking idea of like, hey, Brandon Cutler, you know, based on what we see, obviously, you know, there is this, we can sort of figure out this idea that like wins give you confidence would give you taunts. Maybe there is some sort of psychological idea, like what if we look at it the reverse way, where if like, if you just fake confidence, maybe that can lead to wins in a way um where where feign confidence i should say when cutler because cutler is all the way here at the gosh dang essentially bottom i mean there's it's mm-hmm. pretty bad for cutler and he's consistently at the bottom of all these numbers obviously yeah. if not winning a single match in singles competition um but yeah and, and it's also looking on the very on the other end there is also people that i'm um, you know like i said in terms of that confidence poll, people that kind of like uh surprise me i mean mjf is not surprising archer not really surprising, Wardlow. Not really. I mean, kind of surprising. But then you got people like Luther, who are up here. You have people like Colt Cabana, which I, I is kind of surprising because I was looking at this sort of bubble at the beginning where you have Jericho, Phoenix, Guevara, Starks, Luther, MJF, Archer, Wardlow. That is a big group of heels right there. And mm. then you just got Colt Cabana up there as well. I just found that very interesting.
1: Yeah, he does a lot of. Um... Comedy based taunt, well, yeah, comedy ish taunting, if you
0: know what I mean. Oh, yeah, no, I, 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 and I think that makes sense. Like, you know, fits in line with his character. But it also, mm. there, is a, there is that same idea where, I mean, even though he is, you know, zero on this win loss record thing, he obviously that does mean that he's not completely losing. It doesn't mean he's completely winning. But there mm. is something to say that Colt does a lot of the comedy shtick. Because he's confident in his wrestling skill. You know, he is he is mm-hmm. someone that that I believe has has been said that he grew up watching world sport as well. Uh, he's someone that used to do a lot of those like uh camps around England. Like right. he is someone that is and he he's obviously someone that has been around the globe in wrestling. So he knows a lot, he's he's very well trained, he's essentially an independent wrestling legend he is Mm -hmm. uber confident and so that idea of like well you know he's not maybe maybe there's something i think with colt at the very least there's something maybe other lacking that maybe not giving him an an uh, abundance amount of wins but at the very least he's got the confidence to
1: support it i I think um i mean these things are all like i suppose we're kind of talking psychology now it's quite these things are very nuanced like people use different behaviors for different reasons um there's the idea that people that are nervous and uh, makes a lot of joke a lot of jokes to mask it if colt cabana is having a crisis of confidence and um, which the dark order story suggests that maybe great he point. is now using taunts to mask his lack of confidence um
0: great point
1: i didn't see, even yeah, think of it like that um, that is
0: a great point yeah no yeah and and, and yeah and, I, and like you said it it's a matter of what works best for or what or at the very end what doesn't work as well uh for individual superstars obviously you know you have like we talked about moxley and cody whatever they're doing what is working for them and what that sort of feels like they're doing is being an all-around wrestler people like wardlow obviously and mjf obviously they're doing something right people like cutler who's consisting at the bottom obviously needs to change it up um Potentially, I guess, he's becoming a tag team wrestler with Peter Avalon. Um, but let's yeah. move in to the next point, Rob. You had another <laughs> – you sort of mentioned this model earlier. You sort of wanted to look at the actual taunt model versus a modeled win percentage. you want to talk about this, Rob?
2: Yeah, so the, the different one, – one of the differences between this and the previous graph is I've looked at the percentage of wins rather than um, – because with win-loss, you sort of you – know, if you've won 14 and lost 4, you're on 10. Mm-hmm um so i wanted to sort of get it where it it was kind of uh, we could get everyone on the same playing field essentially so because if you'd won 10 and lost none you can can look like the same person who's won 14 and lost four Mm -hmm. so you've got win percentage everyone's having the same thing um and i did a very simple model in excel using um the um the data regression function um And one of the interesting things about this is if you look at the orange and the blue um, dots, they actually average out the same number. So what's that saying is if if we didn't really care about picking the individual, we just wanted to pick the trend as a whole, we can do that very well. Mm -hmm. But you can see that there's very few dots that actually sort of sit on top of each other. you have got a few like uh, Orange, Cassidy, and QT, Marshall, and Lufa, and uh, Dustin Rhodes that are pretty much bang on top of each other. Mm-hmm. But everyone else there's more of a spread, and what the what this model that quickly threw together doesn't do very well is it, it, it focuses in the middle, so it, it isn't capturing the people that are losing all the matches, like Santana Santana and Ortiz, and it isn't capturing you know your Wardlows mm-hmm. and Kenny Omega's and Cody Rhodes that are winning high percentages of the matches. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know y- you can definitely use taunts. But probably what it's suggesting is that you would either need something else or you'd need to do it in a more nuanced way um, to, to capture, you know, to more accurately predict the individual results rather than just the collective, if that makes sense.
0: I believe so. I believe I believe <laughs> I, I say I believe so, because I mean, I, I I've said before in a previous episode, like I said today, like you are I, 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 I love the knowledge that you bring, but I know that I'm still learning. So I'm, I'm learning all of this as we're sort of talking about it and trying to soak it all in, folks. So I'm just sort of like I, I'm getting I'm trying I'm slowly trying to pick up what you're
1: putting down, Rob. I think I think what's interesting um, and I think Rob you alluded to it at the start when you were talking about your interest in numbers and like numbers come easier to you rather than words and um, I suppose when I look at these things I try to tell a story with it whereas um I think you're more like pure kind of looking at um trying to use it as evidence if I'm understanding correctly. Um, and it's just quite interesting. obviously this is your um, job whereas I'm a rank amateur that likes football statistics. <laughs> and it's yeah I think I think um, the, the, probably the contrast in um, perspectives probably um, fits the, uh, the, the like the episode the, or the kind of the subjects quite well.
2: Yeah, and, and I think you've got to sort of have that um, relatability to say, well, yeah, this is the model, that I want mm-hmm. to be able to tell this. You know, th- this is why it's important. This is the story it's going to tell. Um, so it is really important that you look for those kind of things and say, well, I, I've got, I've done this statistic, but but this is kind of why it matters in the real world. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, that, that is a, you know, that is an incredibly important part of it, um, which is, you know of mm-hmm.
1: the stories yeah. you are telling on the podcast. Yeah,
0: trying to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. You know, I'm just trying to learn while, while while we're all sitting here. I'm just trying to get it all in, soak it all in. I'm not. I'm not an amateur. I'm not a professional. I'm just a guy that likes charts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all. Don't we all. Are, they're colorful, guys. They're got they colors. They got names. They got cool little dotted lines, you know that. They got all the cool things in the world. What can I say? I don't want to. I don't want to dismiss what you guys do, all the experience that you guys bring to the table. But I like the charts, baby.
2: I, I, I do know a guy that tries to uh, organize a graph of the year competition, and really? it, invariably. Invariably, he's the only person that enters, and then he gives himself a little certificate. So, uh... oh,
0: well, that's BS, <laughs> <laughs> that's just straight up BS. There, I mean, you, you can't do a do a if you're going to run a competition, you can't include yourself in the competition. Yeah, but, but the trouble
2: is, he, he, he sort of sidles up to you, going, Look at this graph I've created, it's the best graph you'll ever see. you want to enter competition, <laughs> and, and you're like, Well, I know, I know that graph's a good graph, so uh. <laughs>
0: Oh my god, mm. well then. Well, thank you Rob for coming on to this episode of Wrestling of Statistics. We love you know, obviously you have a wealth of knowledge. Uh and we loved having you on this episode, of course. Uh you know, of course as always, we'd love to have you back.
2: No, it, it it was great. Um I've really enjoyed it. Um you know, any any excuse to uh talk about wrestling or, or statistics and uh getting the both in and uh yeah, you know, I'd mention a puttersfield town it's uh, it's uh, perfection for me. So
0: yeah, you have a wonderful wealth of knowledge that I, I can't wait to uh, pry into when I have many more questions for you uh, down the line. But uh, until then, where can people find you?
2: Um, just on Twitter at UTT Rob. Um You know, one of the things that I will say, a lot of people say, oh, you know, go follow me. Uh, I, I do try my absolute hardest to follow people back uh, as long as the content is something that you know wouldn't get me sacked or uh, thrown into mm. prison if no one actually saw me looking at it on the phone um you know so um if, if you've got a uh vaguely respectable account uh, i'll be more than happy to follow you back
0: well uh th- I, thank you so much rob for being on this episode <laughs> uh, i love the talk at the end thank you so much uh of course we'd we'll ha- love to have you back everyone you can go follow him on twitter at utt rob uh craig anything for you to plug
1: um, please, please check out the Pro Wrestling Museum's website. Um, over the weekend there's going to be an AEW Power Rankings by Griff from GA Sports, which um, should be an excellent piece of work. He's an actual proper journalist, so um, can write in full sentences using punctuation correctly, which is not always true of myself. And um, so that'll be really good. And then um, Nathan and Dan should be putting up. Um, match reviews for the Brian Cage match from AEW and the Io Shirai match from NXT, which will include um, a bit of analysis on the kind of body parts, kind of analysis of where uh, moves affected and stuff that I had up on Twitter the other day. So that should be something different in terms of different ways to collect statistics.
0: Yeah, that's something I really enjoyed you doing, Craig. Obviously, like you said, it's, it's a lot more work to be able to track those specific body parts as well, but, you know, I feel like... Yeah, you know, there's a
1: lot of, like, skipping back to be like, is yeah. that hit her base body kind of thing? But yeah, it, it was... I, I was quite pleased with the result. It was quite a... Um, it was... It comes from, you know, the old SmackDown versus Raw games, and you'd have you'd have your, mm-hmm. your character would get, like, Yellow, orange, reds—body parts, depending on how much they'd been hit.
0: Yeah, no, I I like it a lot. I I think you know if it's if you save it for like the big time matches, you know, mm. save it for your yeah. kingdoms or manias or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be. I, I I would love to see stuff like that moving forward. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and of course, yeah. you go ahead, Rob.
2: I was going to say it'd be interesting that um you know because you've had certain wrestlers uh, like um you know tanner Hatch has been selling his yeah. arm, injury, uh, arm yeah. injury for as long as anyone can remember. Uh, and yeah. maybe he sort of goes into the uh, match with a red arm
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a great point yeah like if you did like if you did that for Wrestle Kingdom night one you know you you do that for Naito and Okada you'd see going into the match where who's been hurt the most and where mm-hmm. It'd be
1: interesting yeah I, I couldn't I couldn't find like like uh, I couldn't find a tool online that you would uh, allow you to, to kind of change the colors without it being a um, quite an overly manipulative, like crop, uh, <laughs> copy and paste, crop, copy and paste, change the color, type situation. I suppose if I, oh, I suppose if I did that once, though, I could reuse it, so that might be worth actually doing.
0: That's fair. That's a fair point. Uh, well, of course, you can follow Craig on Twitter at Craig PW Musings, or if you just want the analysis of of Pro Wrestling Musings, you can follow that at PW Musings uh if you enjoyed my nonsense you can go and follow me at hit the books pod uh on this pod we would greatly enjoy if you could my voice cracked there if you can greatly enjoy uh this podcast then consider subscribing so that you can get it every monday when it drops and of course we have our Uh, brother sister show sister what i don't know what defines brother sister show but it doesn't matter i guess uh is nothing so sister show uh you gotta hit the books every friday which is sort of a realistic fantasy booking podcast that i do with uh co-host mikey manfredi Uh, and you can go subscribe to get both this show and that show as well um uh, uh leave a review i think that's the last thing i want to say leave a review um so that you know if you enjoyed what you heard leave a review on itunes uh that would greatly help us out uh, you know it gets us more listeners and whatnot all that takes is what two minutes out of your day to leave a review we greatly appreciate it Um uh, so thank you so much for everybody uh thank you again to rob for coming on to this episode rob we loved having you on i'd love to have you back again one day um yeah so thank you so much uh we'll be back next week until then have a good one everybody bye